Welcome to SimonCast, the official podcast of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute. I'm John Shaw, the director of the Institute. In August of 2021, the Institute launched a new conversation series called Illinois Authors. A few years ago, as we were preparing for our Renewing Illinois Summit for college students, we asked several prominent Illinoisans to recommend books that would give students a wide-ranging and nuanced understanding of the Prairie State. We ended up with a long and varied reading list that underscored the richness and diversity of our state, and I was inspired to learn more about Illinois literature from the writers that bring its history and culture to life on the page. What follows is the conversation from our Illinois author series. Thanks for joining the first edition of our series, Illinois Authors. And we couldn't be uh, more pleased to kick it off with one of the iconic uh, reporters, writers, journalists, historians in Illinois, uh, Bob Hartley. Mr. Hartley has been around Illinois politics for a long time. He was a reporter for four decades, reporter and editor. Uh, He's been a writer, writes prolifically, more than a half dozen books on uh, history and politics. Um, and is just a font of information. And we, we could talk, we could spend all day talking about his books. We're going to focus on two of them, and they're two of my favorites. One of them is called Paul Powell of Illinois, a lifelong Democrat, which uh, Bob published in 1999. And the second one is Paul Simon, the political journey of an Illinois original, which he published in 2009. Um, so these are two books we're going to talk about. I also say in preparing for this, I, I, I went through a lengthy and very, very interesting oral history that he gave it for the, the Lincoln Library in Springfield. It was about 180 pages long, chalked with a lot of really informa- interesting information about Bob's career and his writing. So Bob, we're delighted to have with you. You're joining us from Colorado. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here and uh, to help you launch what I think is a really important contribution to uh, Illinois history and the authors who do it. Well, great, thank you. As I said, we didn't we did not think we could start at a better place than with you. Now, Bob, you're from Kansas, uh, Winfield, Kansas, um, but you've spent a good chunk of your career as a, as a reporter and editor in Illinois. Um, and I saw you uh, saw you quoted one place saying you, you loved every minute of it. Tell us about sort of the thrill and the delight of being a reporter and covering Illinois politics um, in the early phases of your career. Well, I went to work uh, for a newspaper in East St. Louis, uh, which uh, someone might think was not much uh, uh, much to be thankful for. They were doing some of the uh, more significant investigative reporting at that time uh, many years ago. And the editor there was, uh, I believe, one of the finest editors I ever worked for or with. And so there was, and immediately by joining the, it was then the Metro East Journal, by joining that newspaper, uh, I had an introduction uh, uh, to uh, uh, to what what was a different kind of life. I remember uh, my first uh, few days, I was a copy editor uh, there for the paper, and I uh, picked up a story that uh, one of the reporters had done, and it was a story about someone who had been shot at his front door in East St. Louis the night before, but shot and killed. It was about three paragraphs long, and I said to the city editor, I said, well, this story's got to be developed. This is a heck of a deal. We ought to have more on this. He looked at me and he said, Bob, you're new here, and this is East St. Louis. <laughs> so that was my uh, that was my introduction. But uh, I fell in love with uh, with Illinois politics and uh, Illinois history, as a matter of fact. And it was uh, it was developed there largely. But when I uh, went to work in uh, Decatur. Uh, I made the acquaintance of Bob Howard, who was uh, at that time uh, a uh, retired uh, Chicago Tribune reporter of some note, and he was the head of the Historical Society, Illinois Historical Society. And Bob Howard really inspired me more than anybody at the beginning to devote some time and effort to writing books. He said, uh, the best books are written by journalists. And of course he was one. And uh, uh, so, but he said more journalists need to write books because they can make them come alive. And I remembered that ever since. Bob was a a great uh, mentor for me. 
So that was how I really got uh, inspired by it. And once you get uh, get the bug, um, you can't get rid of it, no matter where you live. Uh, when we left uh, uh, Illinois and, and moved to Ohio and then to uh, Washington State, I still kept in touch with what was going on uh, in Illinois and uh, because I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't get it out of my soul. Well, Bob, I saw in, in, uh, just on playing on that theme in, in this, this interview you did, you're, you're talking about you know, having lived elsewhere and having worked in other communities, Idaho, Washington State, Ohio, et cetera. But you said, I'm hung up on Illinois history and I admit it, I love it. So what's keeping me back? And the stories are so good. There are an unlimited number of good stories here and I feel comfortable doing it. Do you think, I mean, do you think Illinois politics is unusually interesting? Well, I think every state has, uh, in, has interesting political stories. Uh, I suppose I'd like to think that Illinois has more, uh, but, uh, but that's only because uh, I'm working in it from El on the Illinois side. But uh, in other states where I've lived, uh, as I've learned more about the politics there, uh, Washington State, for example, some terrific uh, political stories there. I just think that uh, Illinois happened to be where I got it, uh, but uh, it doesn't mean even Kansas, anywhere, any state has a political story or a, a list of them that uh, if they haven't been developed, they should be. Well, let's talk about your first book, which was on uh, Chuck Percy. And, you know, maybe students right now don't know very much about him, but Percy was this major figure and really American politics uh, defeated the legendary Paul Douglas in 1966, had a long career that only ended in 1984 when he lost to Paul Simon, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Tell me about the impetus to, to write a book about Percy. What were you trying to, to accomplish? Um, I, um, I think I, I, I don't believe that I was uh, looking to write a book. I, uh, because at that time I was the, uh, that uh, I first met him and, and, uh, and started following his uh, career. Uh, I was uh, uh, in, uh, working in Decatur uh, as an editor there. And uh, again, uh, this was Bob Howard's uh, uh, work on me. He and I had a conversation at one time about uh, who uh, he thought I ought to be working on as a book. And he, uh, he said, Chuck Percy is uh, thinking he wants to be president of the United States. Uh, maybe he's a good subject for you. Well, I, uh, I, started, uh, I started working. I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I wrote columns and news stories, but I didn't write books. And um, so I, he said, uh, write a couple of uh, chapters to, and then let somebody who knows the, the story here in Illinois read them and, and give you some feedback. Well, it turned out that Paul Simon was living in Springfield, having lost the, the uh, battle for uh, the governorship. And, uh, and I had, uh, had, of course, knew Paul. And uh, so I asked him if he would look at these uh, two chapters and give me some uh, feedback. Well, he just ripped them apart. I mean, I had to start all over uh, with that, but I kept, uh, he kept helping me with that. And I always believed that, and I, I don't have any evidence of it, but I always believed that Paul was responsible for getting it published when I finally finished it. Uh, Rand McNally in those days was uh, had a long list of, uh, of, of, of books that they were of, uh, nonfiction books that they were publishing, not just maps, and um, and he knew uh, he knew the folks there, and I I always felt that he was behind. He never I never asked him, and he never said, but I always felt that he was behind uh, the the scene on that. And so uh, once they, I got connected with them, then I began to uh, develop it in earnest uh, and felt um, that I got, the, once I got involved in his story, I was, uh, I was really interested in this guy uh, and where, where he had come from and what he had done at Bell and Howell and so on and so forth. So I, uh, I really got in the rhythm of it. And, uh, and I appreciate, appreciated Paul's uh, help with it. Um, 
at uh, I thought it was ironic that uh, that Paul would then be running against Percy at, in uh, in 1984, and I reminded him of uh, of Paul of, of working with me on that book, and he said that. Uh, you know, he said, I never liked Paul. I never liked uh, Chuck Percy very much because he beat my hero, uh, uh, Douglas. And uh, he said, I just never, but he said, I wanted to help you with it. So anyway, that's how that got started. And do you, I know this was many, many years ago, but do you remember like in terms of his edits, was it more, was he, was he urging you to tell stories to kind of avoid political jargon or do you even remember just sort of the broad nature of what his comments were on those chapters again i know it was many years ago well uh, yes I, I, uh, I, I kept those notes for many years um mainly uh it was structural and uh and and uh, and and following following a theme get uh, the pace uh, i guess i'd call it the pace of the writing and uh, and he had some rules. He, you know, he had of course written some books, although most of his uh, books came after that point. But he had some personal rules about uh, uh, about writing books and uh, the passive voice and avoiding that and things like that. And he uh, he he hit those points as he went through it. Uh, he he didn't uh, he didn't do say I know you ought to be looking at this and you'd haven't done that. It wasn't like that. Uh, he was it was really structural work and that's what I needed I needed somebody to tell me what a book was supposed to be right well then a couple of years later you uh you wrote a book about another practicing politician Governor Jim Thompson and I you know as I was reading about the story I was thinking man it's tough to be writing a book about a politician who is currently serving looking over your shoulder ambitious looking to their future I mean that's sort of a tough uh, subject to crack. What, uh, how do you recall that effort to write a book on Jim Thompson? Well, uh, my editor with Rand McNally, uh, uh, Steve Sutton, who was a, a, a terrific guy, um, uh, when I had finished the Percy book, uh, he said, you know, there's another guy there in uh, Illinois who looks like he want, might want to be president of the United States. Maybe we ought to be doing something with him. And so, uh, you know, under the theory that you write the first book because you can, and you write the second book to prove that the first book wasn't a fluke. <laughs> and I think that's why I dived into uh, Jim uh, to Jim. Um, and it was a difficult, uh, difficult book to, uh, to research. Chuck was uh, open and I interviewed him at great length and, uh, and he was easy. Uh, and 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 so did so did Jim. Uh, he was. Um, uh, I think I had five or six interview sessions with him while he was governor over at the mansion, and he, so he was very helpful with that. But he was very cautious about where I was going with this book. And um, uh, and uh, the story always was that, that when it was finally published, that he didn't like it much, and that uh, he asked the um, the Illinois Bureau of Investigation to check in and see if I had uh, uh, if I had done something that I shouldn't have, uh, and so apparently I was investigated by the IBI, and uh, and Jim wasn't uh, wasn't particularly keen about the book, but I remember also quickly uh, on the Percy book that Lorraine Percy, Mrs. Percy, she didn't like it either, uh, because she didn't she thought that I exposed. Uh, her husband's uh, financial information, and that that might make her children more subject to kidnapping. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I've done a couple books on people who are alive and still at work, and I've done some historical work, and I, you know, you can't interview people who've passed, but there's a certain ability to penetrate into subjects and to really pursue it objectively that it seems to me is easier when they have passed and then when they're alive and actually still aspiring for office. I agree with that completely. I would much rather, rather write about someone who's not here anymore. Right. All I, have well, to deal with then, all I have to deal with then are his relatives. <laughs> let's talk about Paul Powell and um, what an amazing person. And what I want to do is read a couple sentences and then let you go to town because 
I mean, you really capture, I think, the full, the full complexity of Powell because he was a lot of different things. But let me read a few sentences and let you, uh, let you respond. You say, Paul Powell's prominence in Illinois political history is assured, not because of his 35 years in state government, 30 of which were sent, spent in the state legislature, not because he served three terms as Speaker of the House, not because of the thousands of laws he authored or caused to be enacted, he takes a place in Illinois infamy because $800,000 in cash was found in a Springfield hotel room after his death on October 10th, 1970. As a result, Powell is remembered far and wide in Illinois and beyond. His legislative career, the contributions he made, and the controversies he spawned are virtual footnotes. In full view, however, Powell was a more powerful state leader than some of the governors who served during his time. So let's talk about that first piece of Paul Powell as just a political powerhouse. No question about that. And uh, he did it his way. Uh, he believed that uh, politics was the means to an end uh, and that the end may have been uh, important, but it was not the driver. Uh, what the driver was, was the politics because that's where the power came from. And uh, as we will maybe talk about later, that's where he and Paul Simon had a significant difference about the idea of what, of what uh, government was supposed to be doing. But, uh, but Powell um, uh, was a, a, a dynamic person from almost the very beginning. I, I, uh, I always marveled at his story before he was ever in politics. He was a boy entrepreneur. Uh, he was uh, he, he started businesses on his own while he was still in high school and he uh, and he caught the eye of political people uh, in Johnson County and that uh, part of southern Illinois and they they saw something in him and they started him along and uh, encouraged him to uh, to run for the state legislature and once he was there uh, he, he seemed to be at home. That seemed to be where he really needed to be. And, uh, and he did all of those things that you mentioned in there. He did, uh, he did create uh, some, some uh, uh, guys, uh, a legacy uh, of, of that, that's not many, not many um, ser servants uh, in Illinois have, uh, public servants have been able to do. It was how he did it, and it was the personal, uh, the personal part of it. How much money he made, how much he made on the side, how he uh, how he managed uh, to keep people voting with him, uh, with uh, certain uh, uh, help, as it as it were. Uh, he was, I think, without question, corrupt. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He was a, he was a corrupted individual. Uh, he pulled it off. You know, he was never indicted. He was never formally charged uh, with anything. And so uh, he was he was smart enough to be able to figure out how to dodge the law and uh, and how to bend it uh, to his purposes. And as a result, people wanted to go along with him because uh, they're, uh, they're ben they benefited from that as well. The racetrack story is probably as good as any uh, about, uh, about Powell and, uh, and the people he pulled into the racetrack business and that pulled him in and the extended uh, uh, benefits to those people. Uh, so so he, he, was, he was always mindful of doing something for somebody else to keep him in, or her in line with him. As a result, in those days, um, uh, you, know, you know, in those days, the politics of Illinois was much different than it is now. And the, the two parties uh, swapped back and forth, governorships, um, legislative control back and forth. They all, the legislature was always close in numbers. So there, it was a deal-making, wonderful land. And, uh, and that's what Powell, uh, that's what he did. He pulled together deal. Didn't care, it didn't make any difference to him whether they were Democrats or Republicans. If, if he could get the votes from them and keep them uh, working with him, that was his whole point. 
So it was a, um, it was a masterful um, performance. Uh, it, uh, that's probably not doing him justice, but it was, it was a performance that, and even when he wasn't in the legislature and he was uh, secretary of state, he was doing the same thing. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and maybe came even closer in that role to some legal issues that could have uh, gotten him in trouble than it was when he was in the legislature. But he just was, uh, he just was a perfect subject for a book. And um, I have to say that um, uh, uh, inject uh, how, how that book came about. Um, I had, uh, uh, I was living in, uh, in Washington state at the time and working. And um, I uh, was doing some research on the racetracks in Illinois, but at, at the insistence of a person called Paul Simon, who wanted me to be doing some investigating of the uh, criminal history of that area of St. Clair and Madison County. Anyway, I, I discovered Paul Powell's role in the, uh, uh, in the racetrack. And I wrote an article for the Illinois State Historical Society's history conference, uh, a paper on that uh, aspect of, of Powell and racetracks. And when I had finished with that, I sent a copy of it to uh, Paul Simon. And uh, I remember very well, uh, he didn't write, write me back, he called me back. And he said, um, have you thought about making a book out of this about Paul Powell? And I said, and no, I haven't. I said, I just wanted you to read this because you might be interested. And I said, beside I'm working, I don't have time to do a book. He said, well, I think you ought to think about it and I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. Well, within days, I had this uh, letter from the editor of the Southern Illinois University Press. And he said, I've been reading this article of yours that Paul, Paul Simon sent to me uh, suggesting that there be a book there. He said, maybe we ought to talk about that. Well, that's how that got started then. And so, so Paul Simon was uh, at, the, uh, uh, at the beginning of that uh, as well. And, um, and, and then um, you, when you do a book like that uh, and, and a controversial person, uh, then you need some help. I mean, uh, I, uh, I couldn't have done that book by myself. Uh, and uh, so I had a, a, a probably, oh gosh, um, I want to say a list of helpers uh, that, um, that made that book possible. And, uh, and, and um, at one time I did an, a, uh, I came to Carbondale for some interviews. Uh, I, the, I, need, I need to mention that another helpmate in this uh, project uh, was David Kenny, uh, the re and, uh, retired uh, political science uh, professor at SIU. And he and I wrote two books together, but uh, David, um, helped set up some interviews in Carbondale. He knew uh, he knew he knew Paul uh, uh, Powell quite well, so um, I uh, uh, so I was I was going to be there, and uh, I thought, well, maybe I'd uh, try to find if Paul Simon was going to be in town, and I'd interview him about Powell. So it turned out that I had dinner at Macanda with uh, Paul and Jean. Lovely evening. And uh, then I tape recorded an interview with the two of them about Paul Powell and so help me, it was marvelous stuff. They had so many good stories that I had to figure out how to weave them in and out of that, uh, of that book because uh, I could see that, uh, that Simon had some strong feelings and, and so did Jean, uh, who was a seat, almost a seatmate of this Powell. Uh, in the legislature, so she had some good stories too. But uh, so these people uh, uh, helped me get uh, get going, and and without them, I couldn't have uh, couldn't have opened the door. The eight hundred dollars, uh, eight hundred thousand dollars story. I still run into people today. If I mention uh, something about Illinois politics, so that somebody will say, well, what about the guy who had $800,000? I mean, they still, still, people still talk about that. And um, it, was a, it was a difficult piece of the book to pull together. Uh, the, the principles of the, um, of the whole event uh, were, uh, were dead. 
And uh, in fact, two of them had died just before I went to Springfield to talk to them. And uh, so um, I, I, I got a lead on a, a relative of one of, the, in, of one of the people involved in the handling of the money and the hiding or the finding of the money, supposedly. It was a wife of one of the, uh, one of the participants. And uh, I got an agreement to, she would sit down and talk to, talk to me about it. Well, she, she, had, she had details that uh, were just simply not, had not been published, had not been mentioned even about that night and about her husband's involvement. And she said, uh, you know, I would appreciate it if you would not use my name. And I said, uh, that's fine. I'll never, I'll never ever use your name but I have to use this information, uh, at least in paraphrase, if, if not otherwise. She said, that's fine. And that's the way I handle it uh, in the book. Uh, and I have never, uh, ever since mentioned her name to anybody uh, about, uh, about that uh, conversation. She's long, long gone. But uh, those are the kinds of people that open some doors um, when you are trying to get past the record. Uh, the record's important, but you uh, and the papers, I just can kind of keep going on this, uh, John, I maybe you'll have to interrupt me. Um, without, without the papers of Paul Powell's um, that were, were, were kept by John Rendleman, his, uh, the uh, uh, executor of his estate, Rendleman saved all of the information that he had, that he collected, for uh, about Paul Powell for the investigations that went on. Plus the record, the actual record of the testimony of the individuals who were involved, including his testimony, Rendleman's. And he gave all of that to the Illinois State Library. And uh, so that material was sitting there, had never been, according to the archive, archivist, had never been used before. And so I had access to that, and that just you know that just made the story, along with the uh, with the helpmates along. Otherwise, I could never have written the book. Well, Bob, one thing that struck me in your book too, uh, your depiction of Powell is sort of a, a Lyndon Johnson character, almost a uh, kind of a master of the Illinois General Assembly, and. And one area that this was particularly pertinent was Southern Illinois University. He was, and I think, actually, I think you had said Dave, Dave Kenny was the one who had, had urged you to really focus hard on Powell's work for SIU. But, but in your book, you chronicle, you know, this kind of collaboration he had with President Morris, in which over the course of a number of decades, Powell directed lots of money, resources, et cetera, to SIU. Tell us about Paul Powell and SIU. Well, uh, he, he, you know, Paul Powell never attended a college of any kind. Uh, and uh, I think he, he was committed to a, a growth factor for Southern Illinois. And uh, so the, the university or the idea of the university was important to him. In 1949, uh, when he became Speaker of the House, um, the, the university was, you know, just a small school there, and uh, Morris had just been hired, and uh, so they they formed a bond, that uh, a growth bond, I guess is what I would call it, uh, and uh, and Powell could make that happen, and he worked with Adlai Stevenson, who was the governor then, and Stevenson, uh, and he had some uh, pull with Stevenson, as you might imagine, they weren't friends, but they. Uh, they got, they got along, they got things done. And they started to work on the SIU part of it, formalizing it, uh, separating it from, uh, from uh, the University of, of Illinois, uh, building, uh, building some, providing the capital for buildings and so on. This was Paul, Paul Powell. This was Paul Powell. There's, I mean, there's no question about that. And, uh, and Paul Simon recognized that. And, uh, and when he would talk about Powell, he would say, um, look at all that Powell did for uh, SIU. He said, uh, you can't take that away from Powell. And then he would add, but he, why did he do it? He did it because it was political. And then Paul Simon didn't like that approach to it, but that's exactly what uh, Powell did. 
I mean, he, it was an opportunity for him to use the power that he had. And, um, and you know, in those years that he was in the, after the first uh, speakership, um, he, till, till he left the, uh, the legislature in, uh, in 85, uh, he was, or 65, he was, um, uh, he was either the speaker or the minority leader. Paul, Paul Powell. So he was at the top of the uh, powerful legislature, no matter what, uh, who, no matter who was in charge. And he used that uh, to, to, for, for the building, the buildings, you can, uh, you can uh, find place, other places in Southern Illinois that he did that. But I think he was responsible for, for the growth of, uh, of SIU, uh, that, that initial growth that brought it, that brought it to the top of an institution, of an education institution, uh, and he did it with Morris. He did it with the, with the uh, uh, legislature. He did it with friends. Uh, he just he just did it. That, and uh, and and uh, when there was um, a um, and I I mentioned this in the book uh, when uh, uh, the riots of uh, the protests of the uh, of 1970. And that period occurred on campus. Paul Powell was very upset by that, and he withdrew a um, a uh, uh, he was he had made a provision in his will uh, for a gift of money uh, to uh, SIU, and he withdrew that in protest, a personal protest. But that didn't stop uh, didn't stop him from working for the overall good of the university. Right, and and I when I when I wrote the first draft of the book, I showed it to uh, uh, to uh, uh, David um, Kenny, and he wrote back and said, "You need more on the SIU story." He said, well, "You've missed you've missed a big piece of this." He was dead right, and uh, so I uh, went back then and and I went to Carbondale and he set me up with some interviews there to get the story. Of, of, of SIU and Paul Powell, which is a, a, a leading piece of it. Right. Well, we've talked a lot about Paul Simon kind of in periphery. So let's, let's bring him to kind of a center stage here. And, and you knew him for decades, um, you know, as a reporter, um, you know, as you said, he played a major role in your initial books, uh, both as an editor. And I think you said sometimes he gave you practical advice about finding publishers and so forth. Um, and you also mentioned at one point that you had a substantial correspondence with Paul. Were you in touch over the years? I mean, would you, would he, would you pick each other's minds on politics or is it more kind of specific projects you're working on? Tell us a bit about your relationship with Paul and Gene Simon. Well, uh, it's, um, uh, I was uh, as the editor of the Lindsay Shop newspaper group. Uh, and uh, and at uh, as editor of the Herald and Review Indicator, uh, I had uh, 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 an opportunity to write columns, and uh, and I wrote columns for years uh, in those papers and editorials as well. And uh, so um, <clears throat> so Paul and I um, um, sort of he was in the he was in the light, and so uh, I uh, and, and and he. He made the he made the move to uh, to a more personal level. Uh, my my wife uh, was uh, one time a cello player, and he always referred to her as the cello player whenever he'd write a letter. Well, uh, Paul and I, uh, even after I left uh, Illinois in uh, in uh, 1979, um, I never lost contact with Illinois and uh, and with Paul. Um, and these, these, this correspondence with him was a peculiar one. Usually, I was sending him some thought that I thought he ought to think, be thinking about, something he ought to be doing, uh, or uh, asking him a question as to uh, why he had did this, done this, and so on. And then his answer always came back in about two lines in a letter. And, uh, and I have this uh, stack of letters from him that were probably never more than five lines at, at all. And they were sometimes dictated uh, to a, a, a secretary, but he always responded to everything I ever asked him about. And when he was encouraging me 
uh, to write and to write books and so on. Uh, he, was, uh, he was either on the phone or he was sending me a letter uh, and, uh, and it was a sort of a, a, a encouragement. I guess that's really what he did mostly with his correspondence was to encourage me uh, and to uh, keep me online, to keep me working uh, the, uh, the stories that, uh, that would, would form some books. And, and so it was that, uh, that was the basis, I think, uh, of the relationship. Uh, we, were, we had some social times together at the very beginning. Um, when he started to run for a governor, I um, met with him at one point and I said, uh, Paul, um, I've enjoyed uh, with some uh, social events with you and Gene, and, but I think uh, now that you're running for governor, I think we're, it's better for both of us if we put this on a strictly professional level. And I said, because I'm gonna be writing a lot of editorials about your campaign and, uh, and I wanna feel free of any uh, personal connection uh, that might, uh, might, uh, it might influence that. Well, Paul was sort of, sort of acted strange when I had that conversation. I don't know whether he, whether he was uh, really responding the way he felt or not. He felt hurt. Uh, he, may, he, sort of, uh, uh, he sort of said, well, yeah, if that's the way you feel about it, I guess I'll go along with it, but I don't think it's necessary and so on and so forth. So he, he protested a little bit anyway. Um, but, um, but we had those moments when uh, we had to be careful uh, about how we uh, approached our own professional situation. And, uh, and, and I, of course, I could, I could write and criticize him in a letter because he was an elected official uh, without uh, impunity. Uh, but I even, uh, I even was careful about uh, some of that. Uh, I, I just simply didn't want the, the personal side of that uh, to, uh, to be on the record. Uh, and, and yet Gene um, uh, and my wife Mary and, our, and their children did uh, some events together and enjoyed each other's company. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a, a kind of a, a mixture. I, 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 lo I love politicians, John. I, um, I don't care what party they are or how good they are, how bad they are, how corrupt they are. <laughs> Uh, I'm fascinated by politicians, and I like to spend time with them to learn what makes them tick, and uh, and and that's that's really what I my some of the time that I spent with Paul. It was to to, to find out what made him tick, Be, so beyond the public relations, beyond the uh, the uh, ombudsman stuff that he did, for example. Um, I wanted to find out why. And, uh, and he was responsive to that. They never asked me to go off the record. I cannot remember a single conversation with him that he asked me to go off the record uh, and, uh, and not print what he had said. Uh, that's unusual, in, as you know, in almost any politician. Uh, and, and Chuck Percy was the same way. I was always amazed that Chuck, uh, he never went off the record. And so, uh, so Paul, uh, and I uh, so it had this um, extended, um, I don't want to call it a relationship, it was a, a, a or a friendship, it was, an, uh, it was just a cordial feeling between two people, I think. And uh, while I was gone from Illinois, and when he ran for uh, president, we corresponded, he talked about some things he was doing and, uh, uh, in, the, in the run for the presidency. And then when uh, he was about to retire from the, uh, from the Senate, uh, he really got aggressive with me on my writing and the writing books. And the, um, the, the, the piece that really, really, really I'll never forget was I had sent him a, an article that I was uh, writing about uh, political uh, uh, happenings. Um, just before he went into the hospital in 2003. He took it with him to the hospital and he was editing it there when he died. And uh, Sheila sent me that information uh, after it was over. And that was, uh, that was a really critical moment with my uh, feelings about Paul. 
to the last, he was being helpful. Right. Well, so as you have said, when it, you, you had not initially thought that you were going to write a book about Paul Simon. In fact, you, you, know, you felt that maybe, you know, for a lot of reasons, maybe there'd be someone else who was more, more apt to do it. I think you mentioned in one interview, Steve Neal from the Tribune is possibly doing it. But then I think, as, as I recall the sequence, you wrote a, an essay for a, a, a historical society about Paul and his writings and his journalisms. And that sort of became the foundation of the book. Is that broadly what, what happened? Well, that was certainly one of them. Um, I think that um, um, I, was, I frankly was hesitant to write, um, uh, to think about writing a book about him. Uh, and uh, I, you know, uh, I write about political people. I want to be able to separate my personal feelings from what I'm writing about and the person I'm writing about. And I didn't know if I could do that uh, with Paul. So this this article that I did uh, or the uh, uh, published that was published about his journalism work and so on sort of helped free me from that uh, from that uh, feeling that I had. And then I remember a conversation that I had with uh, someone who you may have known named Gene Callahan. Uh, Gene Callahan worked for Paul uh, for a number of years and Gene and I were fast friends for decades. And he was probably the most, the most direct inspiration for the book about Paul. Uh, because uh, he wanted, I asked him uh, in a conversation, I said, uh, is anybody doing a, a book on Paul Simon? I said, I just assume that, uh, that uh, some acad academician, somebody, uh, a writer, a journalist or somebody would be working on it. This was three years after Paul had died. And, uh, and Gene said, I don't know a single soul, soul. I haven't had a one query. Well, I knew if he hadn't had any query that there wasn't anybody working on it. So that freed me up further, I think, was that I wasn't fighting with somebody else to do this uh, book uh, about Paul and Callahan, who had helped me immeasurably with the Paul Powell book. Um, in fact, I still have a, a, a list of contacts that he gave me uh, to help me with the, uh, the $800,000 issue. And, uh, and, and Callahan was, uh, was really a, an important factor in this. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't all what he had to say about Paul. It was the people he directed me to, and some of whom I've never even heard of. And, and that, you know, you know enough about writing books that you can't do it all yourself. Somebody has to open some doors for you, uh, even if you don't ask them. And that, and that was the way you worked with Callahan, who was uh, full of information and full of ideas. And, uh, and he really was the inspiration uh, for the book. And, uh, and, I, and I, so I owed him uh, a great deal uh, at, that, uh, at that time and, uh, and, and for all of the time. If I, knew, if I had a question about Illinois politics, I could call him and get a call back in 10 minutes and, uh, and the answer to whatever I was, and, uh, and he was another one who never went off the record. Right, well, in your book, you have this wonderful quote from um, Judge Mikva about Paul, and I want you to read it and maybe kind of use that as a broader kind of reflection on his career and his, his influence. Mikva says, Paul was an absolute free agent, a crusader, chock full of ideas. He took on more causes and more issues than you could shake a stick at and never, never ran out of gas. Play off the notion of Paul Simon as a kind of an ideas person, an independent agent, someone who did not really fall neatly within kind of the party uh, typology. He obviously was the loyal Democrat and all. Um, and also maybe some of the, the limitations that kind of freedom um, put on his career as he tried to play kind of the inside game, both in Springfield and D.C., well, I think that um, uh, the, uh, the one of the contrasts that uh, I can draw uh, with Paul was with uh, Al Dixon, uh, who uh, they were, as you know, closest friends, as well as U.S. senators. And Dixon was uh, an inside guy. He was an inside politician from the time he was in the legislature. 
and that's the way he operated. Uh, Paul operated entirely differently. Uh, he, uh, he, he operated with ideas. He, he, he worked with people of a similar um, feeling. Mikvah was one. Uh, there, were, there were others who uh, wasn't, there weren't very many, a half dozen or so, and, and uh, Gene Hurley was one of them uh, initially. Um, that, uh, that they worked on issues like uh, full disclosure, financial disclosure, those kinds of things. And they had some minor successes, but not really. Uh, but he pushed the idea. He was pushing that idea about, uh, about uh, financial disclosure when he was a U.S. senator. Uh, I mean, this was, uh, this, was an, uh, this was a lifelong issue with him. Uh, and uh, and there were lots of others like that, and they tends to tended to form up in his books. I think uh, that he wrote the twenty three. I think were that he wrote uh, were his ideas. Uh, he was not writing uh, nonfiction works. That he only did the two nonfiction books, uh, and uh, and all. But and they were very well done. But he was writing idea books. He was writing his personal books about ideas, and putting them forth. And so uh, this was, uh, he didn't care if he didn't sell it in the Senate or if he didn't sell it in the House, he could sell it in a book. And he, and he that was his, his writing, I think. If you look at his whole career, okay, from 1949, when he took over the Troy Tribune and all the way through, he was a writer. He, he wrote constantly, and he, that's, that's the way he got his, his ideas out there. And if they didn't float, they didn't float. But if they did float, he helped push them. And if you go back far enough into his uh, early time in, in Illinois, the, the, say the time from 49 to uh, maybe, maybe 69, um, he, was, he was writing all the time, writing columns. He, uh, in, in his newspaper, and he was pushing them out free of charge all over the state of, uh, of Illinois. And, and that's what he did. That's what he did most effectively because he knew, he knew instinctively, he couldn't sell all of those inside. He, he would not do what was necessary to, to, to push an idea inside because he knew he would have to make too many compromises. And he also knew that he probably had offended some people along the line. And I just think that that's, uh, that was part of, uh, of, of the Paul Simon that, that I admired most was that he didn't let that bother him in terms of getting his ideas out. And, and that's, that's, that's something that, that goes back to his uh, journalism days and to his column writing. And when I was doing this book, uh, you know, it, it really, it's really divided into two pieces. It's divided into the, the Illinois period up to when he ran for Congress, really, and then the rest of it when he was in Congress. And in that earliest period, in the first period, that is the formation period of Paul Simon. That's in my eyes. That's when, he, that's when the Paul Simon we knew later happened. He developed it on his own, with the opportunities presented to him as a newspaper editor or as a newspaper owner, an owner of newspapers and as a, as a writer. And, uh, and so this is, a, and this, is where, this is where I see Paul Simon uh, developing. I don't think Paul Simon would have been what we knew him if it hadn't been for this, this early period. And I remember Gene Callahan after he saw the book saying to me, you know, I learned something in your book. And I said, what in heaven's name, what would that be? And he said, there's so much of the early Paul Simon I didn't even know about. And so I think that the meaning to me of that was that the emphasis on this time period, which people right now say, well, that's not the way it works. And in, uh, in, in politics and the state and so on, but that's the way it worked then. And uh, that he didn't, he couldn't, he couldn't do what he wanted to, he couldn't accomplish what he wanted to if he had to do it like Al Dixon did.
And he respected Al and he worked with him and loved him and they were best of friends. But he did not want to be Al Dixon in any way, shape or form when it came to pushing his ideas. Very interesting. Bob, we've had a couple of questions sent in to us and I'd like to pose them to you. One is from Lorraine from Carbondale who wants to uh, wants your reflections on a couple other state legislators, Clyde Choate and Ralph Dunn as, as also kind of champions of the region, um, Southern Illinois politicians. Any, any comments you might make about those two? I'm, I'm, more, respect, I'm more familiar with Clyde. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and Clyde, uh, and, and, and Clyde's, uh, uh, was a, a, he and Powell were chums. And, uh, and really, um, Clyde was a, a Medal of Honor winner and uh, out of World War II. And Powell was really uh, and uh, was really responsible for getting Choate uh, into uh, uh, politics, uh, and the two of them worked hand in hand on. Uh, and really, Choate was really the number two person for Powell uh, during the time Powell was still alive, and uh, and uh, Clyde was uh, uh, and and that that carried over into the attitude about Paul Simon. Um, uh, the, um, I, I think I always felt that Paul Simon and Paul Powell were mortal political enemies. And, uh, and, and, and when Powell was dead, Choate picked up that fight and, uh, and, was, uh, and was arguing with, uh, with Simon. He was work, working behind the scenes in the, in the politics of the, the uh, congressional district particularly. Uh, and but uh, but Clyde uh, had a good record too in terms of uh, producing uh, an, an achievement for South Southern Illinois. Uh, he was a tough guy, uh, and uh, he came up from a different. Uh, he came up differently. He came out of poverty uh, in uh, in Southern Illinois. He had a strong feeling about social issues and all, but he adopted the Paul Powell approach to getting things done in the legislature. Interesting. Um, we have a question from Bill from Chicago who said, we touched on this a little bit earlier, said, are Illinois politics fundamentally different than other state politics? Um, well, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I haven't delved into uh, uh, politics of a lot of states, but I've lived in a lot of states and, uh, and and uh, and you you don't live in a state. I, if you're in uh, do what I do, you don't live in a state without finding out what the politics are like. Uh, and they may not have a parallel to Illinois, uh, let's say in corruption or in the in the governors who uh, ended up in jail uh, or anything. But but there is corruption in the history of many states. And there's, uh, there's intrigue, there's political intrigue, and there's, uh, there's fighting, internal fighting, and, uh, and, and, and it, it pays off in how things get done uh, in certain states. So there are those similarities. When you come down to specifics, uh, I, they, to say that uh, certain states have the same things that happened at Illinois, uh, I don't think so. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and Illinois does have some uh, uh, some uh, <laughs> some unique uh, political uh, backgrounds, but uh, but they all they all uh, they, every state had to get to be a state. Every state then had to develop as a state, and had to get where they are. And it and it all happened uh, with some great stories. And I think that's uh, that's what I would say. Could you imagine the political uh, careers of Paul Simon and Paul Powell in other states? Or is there something kind of unique about Illinois that, that, that allowed these two types to, to flourish? Um, uh, I would say that there, are, uh, there, were, there, are, Paul, there were, maybe are, Paul Powells in every state. Uh, there are the, the ones who manipulate or work the system to get things done. And sometimes they bend things a little bit. Uh, they're not uh, choir boys. Um, uh, they, uh, they are driven by getting something done and they will do whatever they have to do to get it done. 
And uh, to me, that's uh, similar uh, Paul Powell. Um, I think in some respects, uh, Simon um, is uh, a bit different. But if you, if you look at, uh, at, at the, some of the uh, political people who have come out of uh, Minnesota, for example, uh, Humphrey, uh, get in, uh, into, the, into the picture of people who had ideas, who wanted to pursue uh, an approach to government. Uh, it's not, uh, that's not something that Paul, Paul Simon uh, uh, did on his own. In fact, he, uh, he listened to others, he watched others. And, uh, and so he, he uh, I, think, uh, I think Paul Simon was a, an, was a learner all of his life, a student of, of politics, a student of human uh, dignity, of, of, uh, of approaches to life. And that's what made Paul Simon uh, apart, put him, put him, pit him apart from an awful lot of people. Charles from Hoffman Estates wonders how either Paul Simon or Paul Powell would have navigated uh, our contemporary progressive movement. W would they have been able to situate themselves with the, the current progressive uh, strain that is in evidence now? Well, I think uh, of the two, uh, Paul Simon probably uh, would have been the most flexible. Um, and the most, uh, he would look to see what could be achieved uh, by, and, and if it fit his idea of what needed to be done, uh, then I, he would adopt, I think, other, uh, uh, other people's approaches. But when he, if you look at when he ran for president in 1988, uh, he was running all his own ideas. He was not running on somebody else's ideas or somebody else's idea for running government, and uh, and and so he now he was uh, he was uh, referred to as an old timer, uh, and uh, and if you look at what he was saying, he he was he was reaching back and pulling back pulling things forward that he felt were important. I don't think he would have abandoned that for a new strain of uh, political activity. I think he would have if blended it maybe with what his, uh, with, with his history memory and with his approach. Uh, but uh, but Paul, Paul Simon was, uh, 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 while he was a flexible person, uh, when it came to his beliefs and how to get things done, he was pretty hard to persuade outside of that. But uh, he, I think, uh, if he thought that he could, if he thought that he could get some of his things done in a more progressive approach, he would adopt it. Powell, no, uh, I don't think uh, Powell. Powell would run it, try to run it the way he wants to run it, and if he couldn't get it done, he just wouldn't get it done. Uh, and there are some of those people still around. Uh, certainly in Illinois, there are, uh, as as whether well, it's in other states. So I, I don't see him uh, being uh, the, uh, uh, adopting, let's say that, adopting an approach that we think of as progressive or, or even something similar to that. He, 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 he developed his own approach and, his, and, it, and if you wanted to play ball, then you adopted that. And, uh, and he wasn't trying to do something like somebody else in Indiana or Ohio, or influence a broader uh, a bunch of people or ideas. He was uh, devoted to doing what he intended to do, and he would do that now, I think. Bob, I have three more books I want you to write, and I, I'd, I'd like to quote them out and tell me just even the kind of the broad topics. I mean, the first one I think is Abner Mikva. I mean, boy, if someone could use a full-scale biography, he's such an interesting person. Second one would be a kind of a comprehensive history of the Thompson years. Um, and third, a, a really good history of higher education in Illinois. I mean, it's ebbs, it's flows, you know, the relationship between U of I and the other state universities and, and all of that. Um, how, how would those three books uh, uh, attract your interest? Well, I'm not trying to flatter you, but I like it. Uh, uh, the, um, I think uh, Ab Mikva. Uh, is um, uh, another another one of those uh, almost unique individuals who adapted uh, and 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 worked in an environment not in in Illinois politics not not in an environment that uh, welcomed him at all 
it was a very tough uh, run up there in uh, in suburban Chicago, and he was fighting the uh, he was fighting the Democrats, the Daily Democrats up there. So, so but Ab then went on to and his judgeship and and working in the uh, I think it was the Clinton administration, and uh, and so on. Uh, and and then I always felt that Ab Mikva was one of the handful of people who produced Obama. Uh, he was he was he saw what uh, he saw something there, and and uh, Mikva was pulling the strings, working behind to um, to promote and get Obama into the legislative situation and then in the Senate. And I don't think that he's received the uh, applause that he should be getting. He should have gotten for that. Maybe he didn't want it. I don't know. I mean, maybe he didn't want to be, have the publicity. Uh, in the interviews that I did with Mikva on a couple of occasions, uh, he was always uh, he was always very uh, incisive. He he had he had things figured out. Um, and uh, I remembered I was uh, doing some work on uh, on uh, Adlai Stevenson II to, uh, and his uh, four years as governor. And I talked to Mikva. And Mikva um, was uh, uh, cranked up on Paul Powell, of all people, and, uh, and how Powell and, uh, and Ed Stevenson didn't get along. And, uh, and, and how that he felt that that held back the state of Illinois, that uh, a lot of ideas he felt were important that Ed uh, Stevenson had, uh, that just, uh, that Powell simply wouldn't go along with and wouldn't happen. So he, he, he had a feel for what was going on throughout wherever he was and uh, not just his own place. So Mick was a good subject. Uh, I, I think the education subject speaks for itself. Uh, there's some fascinating stories in the education uh, picture uh, in Illinois, uh, and uh, without uh, without without question. Now, let's see now. The third one was well, Thompson, kind of a comprehensive history. Well, somebody's going to have to write uh, 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 a biography of Jim Thompson. I mean, and it is going to be a prodigious business. Uh, I, I can't uh, I, I can't imagine. The document, uh, the documents that will have to be gone through uh, for uh, for his uh, career, for just his career as governor, uh, let alone uh, the time after that and the time before and everything else. Uh, he is a uh, a historic person in this state, in the state of Illinois. He is history, uh, and it's hard it's hard for some people to see that. I think, but uh, he he is more than more than human beings, he was uh, he was an, a historic figure, and uh, and so you, you'd have to treat that, you have to think about that before you dive into a, a real biography of uh, of him. But I think it has to be done uh, because if Jim Thompson was anything, he was his own best promoter, uh, and he he was he was a perfect PR guy for himself. And so he, 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 he did a whole bunch of interviews uh, with the uh, oral history program at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library. And I read all of those and, uh, and they were fascinating, but he created his own picture in those interviews. Uh, he, he, when, when he got a, a tough question, he had an answer, an answer for everything. And it was always, uh, it didn't pay any attention to necessarily to the history of it or what really happened. He just he just formed that, and he so if you if you took that as a whole body of work uh, of, of Jim Thompson, you would have the Jim Thompson story, as by Jim Thompson, and that's and that's what be, would be difficult for an author to dig uh, through and get a, and not and and to be able, you know, it was difficult for me to separate uh, on Paul Simon, to separate what he had written, not, to not be driven so much by what he written about himself and, what, and about other things. But I had to do my own independent work to build a story about Paul Simon. And, and you, you would have to do that with Jim Thompson. Right.
Well, Bob, final question. What do you do? How do you like to relax when you're not uh, cranking out uh, stellar histories of Illinois and biographies? How do you like to unwind and uh, enjoy yourself? Well, I'm a reader and, uh, and, I, uh, and I usually, and, and I, my wife and I, for years now, have uh, every afternoon, uh, late afternoon, we, uh, we have a, a reading together. Uh, and uh, we've read a range of books and uh, it opened up some eyes for me about some things that she's been interested in. And, and so I find that uh, relaxing and also uh, uh, with, makes, it makes me understand things that I haven't, uh, haven't learned before. <clears throat> so I'm, uh, that's probably, uh, if I'm not writing something or researching something, uh, that's probably where I spend my time. I might take a nap too. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Bob, thank you so much. This has been a delightful conversation. We could go on for a lot more hours and I'd love to have you visit the Institute when you're uh, back in Illinois and Carbondale. You write about it very kindly um, in your, uh, your book on Paul and just said how important it was to him to, 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 to build this Institute. So we'd it's love to have you come. Right. That's really what it is. It is his legacy, I think. Well, we're very mindful of that, and we're trying to do all that we can to advance it. And these conversations really help us do that. So, Bob, thank you so much. And again, I look forward to meeting in person and uh, continuing to read your wonderful books. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you for listening to Simon Cast, the official podcast of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute at Southern Illinois University. Simoncast is produced in collaboration with WSIU Public Radio. You can find Simoncast wherever you listen to podcasts, including NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Please subscribe to new episodes as soon as they're posted and tell your friends about our show. For more information, visit paulsimoninstitute.org. Thank you for listening and thank you for keeping the legacy of Paul Simon alive and well.